All right, today I'm super excited. We've got Glenn Lundy on and uh, listening to his story, been following him for years, introduced to you by Danell Delgado and, you know, watched your journey with Grant Cardone and we passed, crossed paths a little bit. I was in Grant's office and, and we actually had our software there and we did a show with Grant Cardone where he did whatever it takes to um, join his crew, right. and you know, a whole maybe a whole other story <laughs> and episode there. But he used our software, and we picked the final candidates without ever seeing them. But anyways, and I know you're big with Grant. You won his competition. Yeah, man. And you are just blowing up, eight hundred percent. So we're going to talk about a lot of things. But first, you just got back from Italy with Steve Spray. Met him out there too when I was out at Grant's office. Super right. awesome guy. How was Italy? Oh my gosh, bro! Are you kidding? It's uh, incredible, in, in, <laughs> incredible place. Did you know the driving over there is nuts, though, bro? I, you know, when, I, no, I haven't been there. Drive in Rome, so there's there's no lines in the streets. There's no lines, right? And yeah, everyone is put, like, if there's space, they fill it. Like everyone's driving little tiny smart cars, and you got scooters, <laughs> and you got motorcycles, and I only saw one truck. I was there eight days. I literally saw one truck. It's all little cars, and there's no lanes. And so everyone's just filling whatever space that you can fill. So at one point, there was like five lanes of traffic in a road that should have been like one and a half lanes of traffic. Yeah. There was five lanes of traffic, people pushing everywhere. I mean, it's not <laughs> My anxiety would be off the charts. Yeah. Well, I loved it. I had a great time. My daughter's 14th birthday. Yeah. We uh, went to the Amalfi Coast for five days. Steve got married. It was beautiful. Then we went to Rome for a couple days, went to Pompeii, went to the Vatican, nice. uh, did the, the Rome in a Day tour, which wow. was phenomenal. It was, it was great, man. It was great. But there's no place like home. It's great to be back home. That's so cool. So you can't tell. My, my daughter's birthday is today. And okay. so she's 13, but I'm not taking oh, her to you Italy. You need to take her. I'm going to shoot her a message. Oh, boy. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and she sent if you a message. If your dad loves you, he'll take you to Italy. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, interesting enough, my parents got home last night from Italy. And oh, wow. my dad said that he would never go overseas and they they were they spent I think fourteen maybe seventeen days they got home last night same I was out on in actually uh, in Mexico in Cabo so we were at the airport well they were a little there a little bit earlier but um, they were That's there awesome. same time maybe you maybe you saw them there <laughs> I, I very very possible man there there was a lot of people out there the Ryder Cup was happening yeah. at the same time too so there was there was a lot of Americans in the area not the greatest sure. outcome there but you know. That's what it is. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah. get back next year. What can you do? What can you do? Yeah. Glenn, I uh, was checking out your Instagram. I don't, I'm not from, as familiar with you as Kevin is, but, uh, man, I got to tell you, almost every Instagram post you do, I feel like I can run a marathon after, nice. uh, <laughs> after looking at it, man. So maybe that's your goal, but I'm all jacked up after I, I see your episodes. Motivation, education, and inspiration. That's, that's uh, right. what I feel like. You know, I feel like... God put me on this planet to bring people together, equip them with the tools they need to succeed and inspire them to be great. So for you to say that, Jeff, really makes me, uh, I, I, I feel that and I appreciate that because we put a lot of work into making sure that if you come across just one of our posts, we do 552 posts a month. If you come across one single post, wow. we want to invoke that emotion in you. So I'm glad that it that it's working. Yeah. 
So, you know, I was listening to the 5 a.m. club all the time, and this is a secret. Jeff doesn't even know this, but I have um, Kevin's Corner every Wednesday with my company, and right. I start it the exact same way every single time. And this, you really don't know Stole this. it from him? <laughs> you didn't give him credit? Stole it <laughs> from Glenn, and it's, good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. Today is, say the day. And there will never, ever, ever be another day like this. So make the very, very best of this very special and important day. So now my team will know. I'm exposed. It was all fun. <laughs> but, That's awesome, Kevin. Yeah. But there's, there's so much truth to that, right? So, so I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, sharing that and imparting that wisdom. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Right? We got to say it three times. Yes. Um, before we get into your background, I do want to say something. I noticed behind you. Um, think you might be a Raiders fan. We just had Sean Merriman on the show, a friend of ours. Now. Oh, nice. He's a huge Chargers fan, and he's, he just doesn't like the Raiders at all. So I actually just sent him a picture of <laughs> the Raiders behind you. How long, uh, how long have you been a Raiders fan? So I have been a victim to Raiders fandom for 40 years now. Gotcha. 40 years I've been watching these buffoons uh, go out there and do what they do. So... Yeah, it's just it's so embedded now, you know. It's like it's stuck, so I, I, I can't I can't I can't help it. But uh, we're Lions we, fans, so we get it, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you get it. You know, you know how it is. <laughs> I I told my kids uh, I think it was last year, or the year before. I said we're gonna switch over to become Saints fans because the New Orleans Saints have treated us really well the last few years. They I got to meet Tom Benson, the owner of the Saints. I got to watch a Saints game in the owner's box with him. And then he passed away, and the organization invited me and my son out. And so my son got to go to a Saints game and, and got to watch so from the owner's box and walk on the field and go to the locker room and meet the players. Like, they've treated us you know, so incredibly. So I told the, the kids, I said, we're going to switch over and be Saints fans. And my daughter looked at me, and she said, Dad, but what about all the gifts you've been given? Because, dude, I've had people give me Raiders gifts for decades right <laughs> what do you Jersey, do with it stein helmets <laughs> plaques i'm like yeah you kind of got a point there like i'm right. kind of i don't want to throw out all this goodwill <laughs> that you guys got a strong away. fan base and a scary one too i feel like yes indeed, you know <laughs> indeed. So hopefully one day you know 80 years from now right before i die there'll be uh a, a legit team again yeah hey glenn is it okay if we start and i know your story that even starts it, like in prison in a, the most troubled past sure. into where you are today is just incredible. And oh, I'd love thanks, for you Kevin. to just share that story. I don't, I don't know that I don't Jeff know knows it, but our viewers might not. I know so. our audience would, it's to me, it's just amazing. Yeah. And I, I'd shoot. I'd love to hear that again. Well, yeah, man. I, um, you know, I grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona and uh, grew up in a unique situation uh, my parents, my dad is black, my mom is white, and my parents got divorced when I was 11 years old. And what made it really interesting was after they got divorced, my dad, who is black, got remarried and married a black woman. My mom's white, she got remarried and married a white dude. And then they moved into the same apartment complex, Greenlaw Garden Apartments, 2600 East 7th Avenue, Flagstaff, Arizona. My dad was in apartment 30 with his new wife, and she had four kids. They had two more kids together. My mom and my sister and my stepdad and I were in apartment 28. 
two doors down, dude, yeah. two doors down from each other. So I grew up with these two cultures. My dad's house was the black house. My mom's house was the white house. And every stereotype that you could think of existed in these two houses, Jeff, like literally every stereotype that you could think of, right? Like right. dad's house was loud. There was a TV in every room. There was sports. We were, you know, cooking collard greens, listening to Motown music, eating fried oh, yeah. chicken, watermelon, drinking Kool-Aid. <laughs> like dad's house was the black house. And mom's house was like quiet, country music, a little bit of rock and roll. <laughs> they were kind of white trash. We grew up in a bowling alley, right? Like it was crazy. And growing up in that space, I think we all, as we grow up, struggle finding our identity. I really struggled with that because my skin was too dark to be considered white and too light to really be considered black. Hmm. So I didn't fit in really anywhere when it came to school. I was growing up in these two cultures. Um, and so I ended up becoming very much a chameleon in life Okay. to where if I was hanging out with cowboys, I was a cowboy. If I was mm -hmm. hanging out with gangbangers, I was a gangbanger. Black people, I was black. White people, I was white. Mexicans, I was Mexican, right? Like I just was everything on the outside because I had no idea who I was on the inside. As, the, as I transitioned into adulthood, I still carried that with me. And I also had a very Darwinistic approach of life on life. Uh, I, I had no faith. I didn't believe in anything outside of the physical. It was survival of the fittest. And so I would basically put myself in positions where I could take advantage of others. And I bent the rules often. I broke the law often. I went to jail often. I got arrested 17 different times. Uh, every time I went to jail was typically for one night, except for one. There was one time where I was in for a longer stint. Uh, but living my life that way ultimately led to me burning a lot of bridges. Uh, I had, I was always kind of running on the run when I lived in Flagstaff with warrants out for my arrest or just whatever, just being a, a knucklehead. And so I left. Uh, Flagstaff, I ended up losing custody of my oldest daughter when she was six years old. And I left Flagstaff, traveled around, lived in Southern California for a little bit. This is in my late 20s. Lived in Southern California, Phoenix, Scottsdale, uh, Arizona, just a couple, moving around all over the place, burning bridges everywhere I went. And fast forward in my late 20s, I think I was 28 or 29 years old, um, I found myself homeless in San Diego. So I was in San Diego, California. I had burnt every bridge. My parents said I couldn't come back home. Um, you know, my sister was embarrassed of who I was. It was, it was just, it was bad. It was a dark space, man. And, you know, homelessness, homelessness, most people think it sucks because you don't have, you know, a place to live or a bed or, or whatever. But Really, the worst part of homelessness is you become invisible. Like, you just start to blend in with the background. People won't make eye contact with you. And so I started to notice people would look above me, below me, to the left of me, to the right of me, but they would never look at me. And you really talk about losing your identity. I mean, no one ever says your name, right? No one ever says your name when you're homeless. And so the homelessness became hopelessness. Hopelessness became a deep depression. The deep depression became suicidal thoughts. 
And ultimately, I attempted to drown myself in the Pacific Ocean. Um, luckily for me, uh, God plucked me out of the ocean, put me on the beach, and he woke me up and said to me, you take yourself wherever you go. And I had heard that before from a mentor, but I didn't know what it meant. But in that moment, I, I understood that though I had lived in different cities, I had different friends, I had different jobs, diff everything around me was different. The only thing that was constant was me. I, you take yourself wherever you go. Right. So once I realized I was the constant in these situations and they kept ending up in these dead ends, I then started to question and say, okay, well, wait a minute. If I am the catalyst of all things negative in my life, does that mean I can be a catalyst for positive things in my life? And if the answer is yes, where does that power come from? And so I began a journey of discovery of the third part of us, mind, body, and spirit. And so I started, I, I went into Scientology, studied Scientology for six months. Then I started, I got out of there and, and studied like Buddhism, Catholicism, Christianity. Um, and ultimately I found a path to spiritual understanding through the story of Jesus and the Christian religion. And that's when things in my life really started to change. And I realized that we are spiritual beings, not just physical beings. And with that comes not only the ability, but a responsibility to make a positive impact with our lives. And so I've spent the last 15 years exploring and developing that. And ultimately, uh, the dead ends are gone, bro. The dead ends wow. are gone. So powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, uh, that's incredible. And to be Thanks. just shaken by God and w woken up and, and you couldn't get any lower than 17 right. times in prison right. and trying to commit suicide to, to where you are. I mean, there's such a long leap to where you are. The way down can't... below this, like, soil to all the way skyrocket at the top now with mm -hmm. this business. What age was that? Like, where? That was when started? I was 29. 29. Okay. When yeah. did you meet your, yeah. when did you meet your wife? The, the one who, yeah. <laughs> yeah really so I met you. my wife. Um, so after that whole experience, I ended up moving out to Kentucky which is where I live now. So I moved to my Kentucky when I was 30, I guess. And uh, I met my wife. Let's see, I'm 45 going on 46 now. So met my wife when I was 30, 31. Yeah, met my wife. Yeah. And because Savannah just turned 14. So met my wife at 31. And her and I have been on this journey together for the last 15 years. Now she uh, is she's been saint. a big part. She's a saint right there. <laughs> Dude, she's everything, bro. <laughs> All them kids and all you travel, but you get around a whole lot better now. The guy goes, you know, he's in a jet. That's how I do. he flies I do around. I have my own jet. Yes. It's so yes. cool. Make a stop in Michigan, man. We'd yeah. love to hang out. <laughs> hey, I was just in Michigan. That's where my, uh, when I got back from Italy, they, we landed in Detroit. Oh, really? And um, I looked and I had an eight and a half hour layover from Ooh, my flight wow. out of Detroit to Lexington. And I was like, uh -uh, that ain't happening. So I called my pilot. I said, come pick me up. And he's like, no bro, way. I can't. I'm on, a, I'm on another flight. I'm like, shoot. So I went and rented a car and drove home on <laughs> on Saturday instead of waiting in the airport for eight and a half no hours. But, yeah, so I just drove through Michigan. 
Wow, that's awesome. You know, side note is so my brother-in-law, Bobby, lives in Lexington, and he's followed you a long time, too. I, I turned him on to you, and he's, he's right nearby. He's in real estate nearby. so Killing it. Nice. Yeah, he's just killing Represent. it. So you, you come out. Now, how did you get started? Because there's such this leap from yeah. <laughs> where you are. The, was it? Did you first start in a car dealership? Is that where you got your first real I heard this part. Of, this is where it gets really interesting too. Um, I heard you speak or heard one of your videos. I didn't know about everything you just told me, so that's insane. But yeah, I'd, I'd like uh, for our viewers to to hear how you yeah, got sure. the momentum going. So when I first got back to Kentucky, or when I first moved to Kentucky, I was still, you know, like I had had a revelation that yeah. we were spiritual beings, but I was still a punk. Right. Like I was, there was still a lot of old bad <laughs> patterns and behavior yeah. that I had to get rid of. So, uh, it wasn't just this overnight deal. Um, so when I landed in Kentucky, I actually, I took a job. I was trying to stay out of automotive. I blamed automotive for a lot of the, 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 uh, decisions I had made in my life. And so I created something called Kentucky blue poker crew, which mm. was a free poker league that ran in bars and restaurants here in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. So I would go into the bar, say Kevin owned a bar. I'd right. say, hey, Kevin, what is your slowest night of the week? Kevin would say, oh, Tuesdays. We right. can't get anybody in here on Tuesdays. I'd say, okay, great. You pay me $5 a head, and I'm going to get people in here. They're going to play in this free poker tournament. It's like a league, like a dart league or anything, but it's yeah. completely free, no gambling, but they can earn points, and ultimately they can win a $10,000 seat to the World Series of Poker you just pay me $5 a head. If nobody shows up, then you don't have to pay me nothing, right? So I put that together and we grew it over the next 18 months uh, to where we had over 10,000 members playing in the poker league. We were running Damn. tournaments in anywhere from two to four different bars or restaurants every night of the week, seven nights a week. I had employees. It was crazy, man. Uh, and I was still in bars till three o'clock in the morning every night. I was still drinking like crazy. My wife was a bartender. That's how I met her, was at the bar, and she got pregnant with Savannah. And when she had Savannah, and when I say I was still the punk, like my wife and I got together, she gets pregnant, we break up. I have another girlfriend while my wife's pregnant with my child, right? Like it's, I was just, it was still crazy. Um, but long story short, her and I, get back together towards the end of her pregnancy. And she's like, bro, you cannot, you cannot be out till three o'clock in the morning every night. Like you have mm -hmm. to grow up at some point and, and we got to do the right thing. And I did not want to lose another child. I had already lost custody of my six year old and I did not want to go through that again. And the only thing I really knew how to do was sell cars. That was, that was what I was really good at. And so we moved to Paris, Kentucky which is where my wife is from, tiny little town, population 9,600 people. And there's a little Chevy store there, Dan Cummins Chevrolet and Buick, that was yeah. selling about 120 cars a month and had been in business for about 50 years. And so I went in and applied for a job. And when I applied, I said, look, man, I've been a finance manager, a sales manager, a GSM. You need me to be a part of your dealership. I should be a manager here. I applied for a management position. The owner of the dealership was very kind and said, we don't need any managers, but you're welcome to sell cars here if you'd like. 
And so I started on the sales floor. Uh, four months later, they made me a sales manager. About eight months later, made me a GSM. About six months after that, made me the GM. Wow. And we grew the dealership 800% to become the second largest used cars franchise dealership in America in just under six years. That's where the name comes from. Okay. And that's where the 800% originally, initially comes from. Yes, sir. Wow. So, yeah, that's uh, when I went into that dealership, I didn't want to get back in automotive. And so I, I literally took a piece of paper and wrote down, what is everything that employees, including myself, hate about the auto world and what do customers hate about the auto world and just made a commitment to do exactly the opposite. I was like, if I'm going to be in the auto industry, I'm going to make an impact in the industry. I'm not going to let the industry impact me. Mm. And that's what we did, man. We flipped, flipped it upside down and it worked. <laughs> wow. So what was that like? I mean, you're a salesman and in four months you became sales manager. You obviously had some sales experience, you know, to, to glean on in, in, in your past. But what were you, what did you do different than the other salespeople? Oh my, a, a lot. This this dealership had been in business a long time, but it was a small town dealership, right? Uh, everybody there was wearing not everybody, but a lot of the salespeople there were wearing, you know, Carhartts and and uh, you know Carhartts and camo camouflage and 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 things like this. This right. this place had wood panels on the wall, like it was. Lawn, they had lawn tables and lawn chairs for, for furniture. And I come in wearing a suit and a tie, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to the point where one of the guys, he became, him and I became friends later, but a guy named Ollie Taylor, he pulled me aside about two months in. He said, boy, you keep wearing that suit and tie around here, you're likely to get hung from it, right? <laughs> like they were, they were not happy that I was right? dressing this way. Um, so I did everything different. I ran fast when they moved slow. I asked questions when they just, um, you know, did what they had always done. Uh, I used social media every single day when they thought that was the stupidest thing that you could possibly do. Um, I cared about the growth and the success of the dealership as a whole more than I cared about my individual success. And the owners took note of that. I took full on ownership of the dealership. I was, it didn't matter what role I was in. As far as I was concerned, I bled Dan Cummins blue and it was my job to move that company forward. Yeah. And that's how I was able to get promoted so quickly. Other people were focused on their individual accolades. I wanted the dealership to win. Mm. And so, you know, really just flipping the script and over time people started to see what Glenn was doing, man. And next thing you know, you got guys showing up in suits and ties and, Posting on social media, you know what I mean? Like, have you ever seen that video where one guy's dancing like out yes. in the field and, yes. and then one other oh, guy yeah. joins him and then 10 it's, people and join him? And he's looking him. ridiculous. But then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. one after the other, people come and it's like a whole like mob of dancers. Yeah. Exactly, man. That's exactly. That's what, that's what it was like. But I had to dance by myself for a while <laughs> right. and take a lot of hits and a lot of heat See, before that's the, people started to jump on board. That's the hard part, right? That's where yeah. most people... They start down that journey like, hey, guys, I got a good idea. You should do like this. And they look around and no one's really joining in dancing. And then they quit. And, you know, consistency is something that you have inside you and that all the top people and producers and whatever field it is, is they do the same thing every day, not just the days 
They feel like it. Yeah. Not just when they want to, but they do it every single day. And yeah, man. I would imagine consistency must play a big part. Yeah, actually, Kevin, I'm a, I'm a, I love the English language. I love words. Words have energy and words have power. And I think that a lot of people have heard they should be consistent and they understand the power of consistency. But if we actually define and try to define consistency, right? Like if I say I consistently work out, what does that mean? Different things to different people. Yeah. (laughs) Five days a week. It's, it's, the cons- consistently can be the word consistently can be perceived in lots of different ways, right? I consistently work out. Okay, that's three days a week. Once a yeah, week. I consistently maybe. work out. That's once a month. <laughs> yeah. I consistently work out. That's yeah. twice a year, right? That's it, it can be perceived different ways. Right. Imagine telling your wife, like, I consistently am faithful to you. <laughs> what the hell does that mean, right? Like, what do you yeah. mean consistently? Right. So I shifted in my life the word consistently to daily. So true. Now, what does daily mean? If I yeah, if I work out daily, defined. what does that mean? Clearly defined. Clearly defined. It's every day, right? If I'm faithful to my wife daily, what does that mean? Yeah. Every single day, right? And so in my life and with the people that um, I've been blessed to, to be able to make an impact and bring into my circle and work with and so on and so forth, we threw the word consistently out and replaced it with the word daily. Yeah. We do things daily. We make an impact daily. We bring people together daily. We inspire them to be great daily, right? We equip them with the tools they need to succeed daily. Morning routines are daily. Investments in our kids daily. Investments in my in my spouse daily. And, and when you when you make that shift, bro, it's right. It's incredible. Powerful. The, the, the compound effect is, of that is tremendous. That's massive. Kev, one thing I definitely mm-hmm. want our listeners to take note of. Glenn said this earlier. What does every employee hate or not like about the auto industry? It's very similar to insurance, you know, because insurance has a bad stigma. So I think it'd be a great exercise. Like, what does every candidate in my area might not like about insurance? And do your best to, like, instead of a boring environment, make it a fun environment. Instead of, hey, you know, like, it's a boring industry. No, like, do everything you can to show it's the opposite. I think... That's I think that's what you're hinting at. Like you kind of made an effort to do what not the typical car dealership does. Yeah, you know, uh, what does a customer hate about automotive? They hate that it's not transparent. Okay, let's be transparent. Right. right. Simple, right? They hate that it takes a long time to buy a car. Okay, let's make it not take a long time. Right. Right. Uh, no sleazy it, car it, salesman. What's that? that? Sleazy car salesman. Let's just say yeah, that. they hate they hate sleazy car salesmen. All right, well, let's not hire anybody with more than two years' experience. Yeah, that's wow. like we literally had a rule in the dealership. We we did not hire a single person with more than two years' experience. It's like it's you with so your agency. Important. So important, right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. no, we're gonna train them our way. And that's and and what else do they hate? Well, they hate when their salesperson is unprofessional and doesn't know their product. Okay, great. Let's let's just make sure all of our salespeople are professional and know their product. Like yeah. once you know what the consumer doesn't want, it's very easy to create what they want. Step inside yeah. the shoes of the prospect. Yeah. And your employees, right? I also, that's something we flipped upside down in the dealership world right out the gate is most people in business, they say, okay, I want to make money, right? So I want to make money. So they're focused on profit 
and they develop a product that ultimately is going to make them money, right? So it's money first. Then once they start selling that and they're making some money, then they say, okay, well, I need more customers. If I can get more mm -hmm. customers, I can make more money, right? So it's profit first, money first, then customers second. And then once they get to a certain level of customers, they say, oh, well, if I hire some people, then my people can allow me to get more customers, which gives me more profit. So then they hire more people. So the triangle is really like money at the bottom as the foundation, customers in the middle, and your people are like last in the chain, right? Mm -hmm. So we flipped that upside down. I'm like, let's just focus on great people. How about I just get great people? And if I get great people, then they're going to draw in more customers because they're going to treat my customers amazing, which is going to get my customers to send more customers. And if we do that, guess what? We'll make a whole lot of money. Yeah. Instead of focusing on the money, I just focused on, 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 on our employees. Hiring people, uh, one of the things that we talk about all the time is hire on character, not credentials. I need good character people, people that are going to freaking work hard, people that, are in, that have integrity, people that aren't going to mm -hmm. be out, you know, blowing and going and lying and cheating and stealing and all that yeah. stuff, right? No, I need good character. I can develop skills and talents if I have people with good character. And so it was very easy to, to, to find, you know, in this industry, people always say, I can't find good help. It's like, dude, cause you're looking for experienced a-holes. You just don't realize yeah. like instead get some inexperienced freaking guys and girls that, that have some integrity and teach them. Yeah. Teach you, them. It's, so I mean, that was our model. You're like singing from our song sheet. Now here's the interesting, like I know a lot, I know way more about you than you know about me, but that's our whole company is literally we've got 27 employees built on that that That's it's awesome. hire the right person and it's sometimes really difficult to get an agent to to see the light that you know training is hard like i get it i mean it's going to be hard to train the right one but in the long run it is such the better play and you're no going to get somebody that's going to be way more loyal to you and it's going to last longer with you. And if you and, and if you hire conversely the wrong person, not only that is like how expensive it is is just out of this world. And yeah, so that's, no doubt, man. Yeah, that's awesome. No, no so, you didn't hire anyone over two years' experience. Like, I don't know. Like, I wish I could describe like insurance agents would would want to do that, right? But it's it's important to know experience isn't everything. No. And sometimes in his, what Glenn's saying in his case, he doesn't want a lot of experience. Yeah. You know, so here's then you got to spend thing. all this time trying to break bad habits, bro. Yeah. Like right. it's, it's, it, it takes way longer as far as I'm concerned yeah. to take somebody that's, that's created those bad habits. It's way longer to teach them a new way than to just take a blank slate and they don't know any other way. Yeah. You know, we hired a bunch of 20 year old kids that had never sold a car before in their life. <laughs> and we're like, oh, by the way, you're going to sell one car a day every day that you're at work. That's the expectation. Right. They're like, okay. Glenn, do they, they wear a suit? Do they have the suit and tie on? Right. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to rock a suit and tie and yeah. you're going to sell a car every day that you're at work. You're going to show up at 830. You're going to be excited about the meeting. Like, and they just, they're like, okay. Whereas yeah. I tell some 35 year old that's been in the business 15 years, he's going to sell a car a day. He's like, nah, man. Like that's not how we 10, did it at Ford. Cards a month. That's yeah. industry standard. Da, 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 da. I'm like, get the hell out of here. Right. So this just happened about three hours ago. Because in in the morning meeting with the salespeople, we listened to a sales call, and I was like, listen, you've been with us for about a year, a little over a year now. 
And I think you would have sold this customer one month instead of one year. It's like you got too smart. You got you got too figured it out. And you lost your energy and your mojo that you had when you first started. I think right. that guy could have sold it. And so right. that's what we need to, you know, bring back in is almost, you know, just get dumb again. And, and we used to do in the car business the same thing because I was in there for, I told you, it was actually 13 and a half years. It's like, you know, you get the new guy. Who do you want waiting on the guy that's got four grand, five grand negative equity? You want the new guy. He's like, oh, yeah, come on All over. Day long. Have a seat, you know, and he sells on the emotion, the excitement, and the person who knows it all, they got it all figured out, right? Oh, four or five grand. Well, you should probably stay in that for a little bit. We probably can't get you bought. Probably can't no, get you didn't even idea. entertain the idea. Right. Yeah. Same <clears throat> thing. And the worst part is that really happens more, I think. What I've noticed is it happens even more like in leadership, right? Because we take our best. We take our best people and we promote them. We put them in in leadership roles and their experience starts to add up. And I understand how their experience is of value. It's a benefit in many ways. But what you're talking about right there, Kevin, is they start making decisions because they're so smart, right? And that, I mean, that's why we put them in the role. They're, they're, right. they're good. But they start making these decisions, whereas sometimes you just got to throw stuff up against the wall. I was at a dealership recently and they pulled the credit. Credit score's not what they want it to be. The manager's like, ah, you know, you, you don't, you ain't got nothing here. Go, 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 right. go tell them they got to have a co-signer. They got to put some money down. Da, da, da. I grab it. I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? You ain't got nothing here. Like they've got good time on job. They make good income. We always talk about there's three legs to the, to the, to the deal, right? If they make good money and got good time on job and have bad credit, there is a way. There is a way, right? You just gotta, you just gotta figure it out. If they have good credit and a bad time on job, but make money, there's a way, right? Like if we right. get two out of the three, oh, yeah. there's a way. Uh, but I think as we develop or as our leaders develop, that's where we really can get in trouble because we build long lasting relationships and no one wants to get rid of somebody they just, they've been running with for a decade. But if that guy or girl doesn't have that new person hunger and desire right. mm -hmm. um then you got to fill it you know, look at the nfl or any of these professional sports leagues like the guy that wants it the most is the guy that gets the spot and it doesn't matter if he's a college kid that just stepped into the training camp or the 15 year veteran that's been there forever whoever earns the spot earns the spot and i think we have to run our more our run our companies more along those those lines yeah that's great you know, to go up 800%, um, and I, I was recently listening to a podcast, Ed Milet. I'm sure you're familiar. She oh, yeah. Ed's been on my show. He may, has he? I'm sure you guys are buddies. But, you know, they talked about how it's easier to go 10x than 2x because you have to, you almost have to get rid of everything you're doing because everything you're doing leading down the same path, and you're going to get the same results. And in fact, you probably get a little bit less with future technology, consumers getting smarter. You do the same thing. You'll probably go backwards. And you have to just like clear the desk and just think completely differently. And I mean, that's what you did in the dealership. And, you, and to be daily, not consistent. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and these daily, and it, and it works. And man, people like that are just so powerful. Like I just so admirable to change the culture of 
of a whole, you know, of the business that you work for is so cool. But like you probably only kept 20%. You probably moved 80%. What you did was just gone. Yeah, for sure. We, including 80% of the people that were there when I started, Yeah. Uh, they, they were gone, you know, but uh, Grant Cardone actually just recently, he had a video talking about this very thing. And he said, there's never been a level in his life where he didn't have to let go of one thing in order to get the next, right? He's like, man, you want to go from 1 million to 10 million? You have to let go of being a millionaire. Like you have to let go of that, yeah. that, 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 that million dollar lifestyle. You have to let go of it in order to step into the 10 million, right? Yeah. Uh, you have to let go of the $10 million lifestyle to step into the hundred million. Like it doesn't matter what level you got to let go right. of the, the $50,000 a year lifestyle in order to get to the $100,000 a year lifestyle. Yeah. And so, there's always, uh, I, I, the way I teach it to my kids is, you know, when they're, when they're trying to climb a rock wall, right? I'm like, you have to let go of one grip mm -hmm. in order to get to a higher level. You can't, you can't hang on to the one below right? you no. while you're reaching up for the one above you. At some point you have to let go and it's scary, right? There's, there's, right. there's a gap there and there's a chance you're going to fall and you're going to hurt yourself. But ultimately there's no way to get higher without letting go. I mean, ultimately, we, we're, we're all getting what we deserve at the moment, right? I mean, oh, yeah, no doubt. You, that's all you, you can't get any better by ultimately you're staying the same. Like you, we get what we deserve at the moment. Now we can reach higher, and it is. That's the scary part, and to change and evolve. And you can probably think back about, you know, the different levels you were at and what you had and how you think now compared to how you thought you know, even a few years ago. Well, yeah, through the Green Leg apartment, you know, on the beach. I mean, it is just like so many moments in your life where you're like, whoa. And now to be where you're at, it's freaking amazing, man. Good for you. Yeah, God is good, bro. Yeah. God God is good. That's for sure. He uh he rewards those of us that are willing to step out of the boat and be uncomfortable. And then, there's a lot of reward in that. At what point, I mean, I think <clears throat> I saw something about your ebook. Um, is that available to anyone? And what made you, you know, write that and, and get into that? Yeah. So when I first started this journey of, um, you know, understanding the spiritual side of self, uh, there was a lot of studying of different people. And I always think it's so funny, right? Like motivational speakers, there's different motivational speakers and a lot For of us sure. know all their names, right? Uh, but it seems like they come at, the right time in your life, right? <laughs> like when I first got back, it was like, uh, or when I first started going down this world of discovery, it was like Eric Thomas, right? You guys know Eric Thomas, oh, yeah, the hip hop yeah, yeah. preacher. When you want to succeed, <laughs> you want to that's when you'll be successful. I'm like, yeah. oh damn, come on, <laughs> right. Fire out, the notebook right? goes flying. Yeah. And then like you go through some tragic stuff and you got Les Brown, right? Les yeah. Brown's like, you know, uh, uh, you're gonna fall down. Right. But if you fall down, fall on your back, because if you can look up, you right. can get up, right? So he would he would bring that. So I had like this season of E.T. and this season of right. Les Brown. And then there's like Jim Rohn, you know, Jim oh, Rohn yeah. comes in and he's more of the, and John Maxwell brings his own little style. Yes. I'm listening to that, right? So right. You're, I'm going through all these different levels and I'm studying. And as I'm studying, I'm trying to find patterns, man. Like what is the through line between right. all these different successful people? And what was interesting is it wasn't what I thought. Uh, 
What I found is that every successful person I studied had a powerful morning routine. Every single one of them, from Warren Buffett to Gates to Beyonce to all of them, everyone in between. Eric Thomas gets up at 3 a.m., spends time in prayer, right? Like they all had a powerful morning routine. And so I started testing out different like pieces of morning routines. I'm like, oh, uh, Tony Robbins says I take a cold shower every day. Okay, let's try that. No, no, this is not working for me. I am not a cold shower guy. I am tropical uh, uh, in nature, right? My people came from Africa. So I am not doing the cold shower thing, right? But I tried all these different things. And ultimately, I put together a series of five simple steps just through studying to create an extraordinary life just, just in the very first hour of the day, right? Very first hour of the day. No snooze button, no phone first thing in the morning, gratitude and goals, take care of yourself physically and send out an encouraging message. Five really easy things. Right. And by doing those five things, you tap into mind, body and spirit every single day. So I started applying the, the morning five, um, you know, back as I was going through this journey and it, it, it changed my life. I started doing that daily and, and my life changed. So then I started teaching people how to do it and their life changed. And, then I ended up writing a book about it. And now hundreds of thousands of people have been able to uh, read and, and, and apply the morning five. And then of course the show, you know, because I was so um, prepared to wake up early every single day, I was able to do a morning show at 5.30 AM that Kevin and his daughters could watch if they wanted to, right? Um, right. And so the, 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 the morning routine prepared me for all the other things that have happened in my life, you know, ever since. And so being able to write uh, the morning five and being able to distribute it for free to people all yeah. over the world has been just an incredible uh, blessing in so many ways to be able to share. It's really that easy. Tap into mind, body, spirit, do it every single day and your life will transform. Mm-hmm. So true, and I'm a big morning routine, and you are a big catalyst of that still to this day. And the thing that I was reminded today is send out that encouraging message because I haven't been doing that. And Bro, it's like one of the first ones to go. I've noticed hmm. is um, I'll have clients that are doing well, and then they go into a slump. And I'll say, okay, great. How's your morning routine? Ah, uh, I, right. You know, I'm still doing pieces of it. Yeah. I'm like, well, what pieces? Oh, well, you know, I'm still working out. I'm not hitting the snooze button. You know, I'm grabbing my phone, but I shouldn't be, but I'm writing down my goals. You know, like little pieces. Yeah. I'm like, dude, no, no, no. You got it. It's all five pieces. It's all five pieces. It's right? All. It works together because when you do those first four, no snooze, boom, you're already a champion. You're winning, right? No phone first thing in the morning. Great. We're not going to let someone else control our destination. We're going to dig into our spiritual side, gratitude and goals, grateful yeah. for where we came from, but yet we're stretching for more, taking care of the physical body's healthy. We feel good. You've now become a generator, dude. You've generated this positive energy that needs to be released. Yeah. You need to release it into the universe to get a reward from it. Every historical religious text talks about this karma, the Bible says what we give, we get back tenfold. We've all heard these things. Yeah. It's an energetic exchange. So when you send out an encouraging message, like, oh, you're amazing, or 
It doesn't have to be anything big, right? Facebook message, sticky note on the wall, uh, whisper into your kid's ear. When you release that positive energy by sending out an encouraging message, yeah. not only does it impact them, but it converts. It comes back to right. you tenfold, dude. Freaking crazy. It's a win-win situation all the way around. So we can't skip that last step. Otherwise, everything that we generated, all this energy we generated, we just lock it into ourselves. Yeah. And that's not why we're here. We have a born on date and an expiration date. The dash in the middle is the impact that we have on others. Ooh. Why we're here. Yeah. So if we're not exercising our right to make a positive impact in other people's lives, bro. Yeah. It says it in the parable of the talents. God says, if you bury your talents, I'll give you no more. Multiply them, bro. Multiply them. If I give you five, go back and bring me, bring me 10, right? Yeah. And so... Morning routines are not as much about self as people think they are. They're about creating an energetic being within you that can now go out and be a light. Mm. So good. It's like, so Kevin, yeah, you know why I wanted a mind so I bad. can't even keep up. Like, I'm like, all right, well, we'll we got the recording this time. <laughs> Literally, when we started the podcast, I'm like, we have to have Glenn Lundy on. Yeah. We have to. So we talked, what was it, Jessica? Yeah, is that Jessica. Or, yeah, we were, we, kept going, we, were like, awesome. we, were, we were relentless. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful that you were, man. She was Your great. Follow you up. Know, yeah. and, and one thing, I don't even know if we noted this, aren't you like number one in the world for taking your dealership at a certain, to wherever you were at scratch to then organically growing it 800%? Aren't you like? Yeah, so number number two, we became... I mean, I guess growing at 800% in a small town, I don't know anyone else that's ever done that. Yeah. But we did become the second largest used car franchise dealership in America. Amazing. Yeah, it was it, the first it, thing that on Wikipedia, I'm like, what the heck? It's yeah. interesting. You said, you know, with 10,000 people in there, like, well, right. people are like, how does that happen? So a quick little minor relatable story, like in, in Allstate, we're in a town, Lake Orion, of 10,000 people. And we okay. actually grew it. We were number one in the country twice. Amazing. And people right. are like, you must have millions of people. You live in the heart. And yeah, like, right, right, right. No. <laughs> no. So, and I, and the story is for anyone, you're in a small town, like the only constraints you have are the only ones that you put on yourself, whatever box you're putting yourself in, because clearly to be the largest used car dealership with 10,000 people doesn't seem possible nuts to so many people yeah it's crazy man i don't know some people might not know this but like back in the 90s they created this thing called the internet and <laughs> when they when they did it like it changed geography right before i could only sell a car to someone down the street because that was the only like the only people i could let know i existed now unless i have to ship it over an ocean they are a potential client like right simple as that right and and who knows? Maybe one day we'll figure out a way that the manufacturers will let us ship over the ocean. Right now they won't let us, yeah. right? It's illegal. So we can't, right. we don't do anything illegal. But I still deal with dealerships that are like, oh, well, we're, you know, our market, our market, right? 25,000 people, our market is 50,000 people. I'm like, yeah. dude, the Limited. internet was invented 30 <laughs> years ago. Your market is the <laughs> United States of America. Right. Yeah. You have 400 million people. Yeah. That is your market. And all you got to do, dude, I, I like the law of 1%. I talk to my wife about this all the time, right? If I can create a product that if I were in a room with 100 people, one of them would buy. 
That's it. I don't need a product that a hundred people out of a hundred buy. <laughs> I just need a product that one out of a hundred people will buy. If I can do that, then that comes out to four million people. Can you see it? Oh, oh, oh it's oh, getting oh, there. Oh. There it is. There you go. That's clear. <laughs> That's very clear. Four million clients. Right. If I can just get a product that one out of a hundred people would buy, and I can get it in front of four hundred million people. That's 4 million clients. And bro, at the, I mean, golly, because we do high level uh, coaching, right? So if I had 4 million clients, oh my gosh, dude, I would have a $16 billion company. <laughs> and that's with a product that just one out of 100 people want to buy. Wow, right. Like, the law of 1%, dude, you just got to, you've got to think bigger. The market's not your local grocery store. Yeah, the market is the United States of America. As long as this is a free enterprise country. Well, and what I'm learning here too is our market isn't just doesn't just have to be insurance. We've got a 30 to 40 percent of all state and farmers agencies in America, and this has to be translated in yeah. other industries. Yeah. It's hiring. It's hiring. Yeah. We're we're talking to, you know, more than one out of a hundred, right? So like this is. So true. We have this 34 million small business owners, right? Just, how about, just wait, how many alone, just in small business alone, there's 34 million in the United States of America. So yeah. 34 million small business owners, they all need to hire at least one person at some point, you would right. hope. Yeah. And to hire the, the, the right one. Not yeah. Some not your cousin. Body. Not your cousin Fred. Don't hire cousin Fred. Yeah, no. And it's <laughs> just like it's you don't want to hire somebody. You want to hire the right, the right one. Yeah. It's so different. And then you expand it even further, right? Like you guys. So it's about creating a product, right? A product that one out of a hundred people could use. So you take it even further to not just small businesses. Like you guys have experience, wisdom in all kinds of things. So you could create a product that helps high schoolers learn how to one day get into the world of insurance or yeah. build their own agency or yeah, you guys are probably good at marketing. You're good at downflows. You're good at building pipelines. Like there's skills and experiences mm -hmm. that you have in your industry that can then translate that you could teach to high schoolers so they can have an, a, 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 a talent or a gift or a skill that they can then apply in their lives later. You know what I mean? Like a vision oh, yeah. early on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and we've done that constantly we thinking, how can we serve people with our wisdom, experience and knowledge? That's yeah. the key. We need to do more. So years ago, we did. We gave it to a high school class and because they looked at their personality and they found out like, hey, what would they be good at? What kind of career should they even be considering? Because, right. as you know, I mean, there's different personality types and that's our focus. And we can say these are the types of fields that you would be great at. And so we just gave it to them donation, but we, I did it with my brother's class more with that. And they're very consistent on some of the, yeah. you know, results. Right. And the, right. The, how crazy the numbers are on the performance index. Like the, cause now, you figure out your personality. You're, now imagine you're a 15 year old and someone at 15 comes in and teaches you not only about your personality index, but how to read other people's and how to yeah. effectively communicate with different personality types. Right. That 15 year old now has the gift of communication. For that 15-year-old sure. yeah. goes into college, goes into adult life, 
They pick an amazing spouse. They have great relationships with their kids. They build their own business, all because you taught them how to communicate with different personalities when they were 15 years right. old. Yeah. We need him on more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Glenn, man. man, thanks for joining us, dude. This, was, this has been awesome. Um, yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So good. And you you guys have got to get it's a free ebook. Yeah. There's no yeah. charge. And I just highly encourage that you you follow Glenn and what he's doing. It's all good. I don't know how you continually this gotta be my last question. It's like how do you continually just produce great content? How many days in a row did you do the rising grind? Is it a thousand? Oh, we've done 1,290. Wow. <laughs> I knew it was, I mean, a massive number, but every day. Yeah. More. Yeah. Than yeah. Monday, Monday so through good. Friday. Monday through Friday. Um, a friend of mine, Heather Parody, she's actually my co host on the morning show now. Yeah. Um, she's amazing. Uh, she came and did a talk for one of my automotive events here uh, back in the summer. And she broke down creativity in such an amazing way. And she said, creativity is simply taking the time to look at something ordinary and to discover within it the extraordinary. I look at Oakland, my four-year-old, sitting at the table eating a bowl of cereal. And I try to find the extraordinary in that. And there's so much extraordinary in that, right? The independence she now has at four years old, the, uh, the personality that she has that God, that God gifted her. It didn't come from me and it didn't come from her mama. Cause she ain't like either one of us. <laughs> right. Um, the, there's just so much, there's, there's so much to it. The, the ingenuity of whoever made that bowl of cereal, whatever, Whatever person decided a long time ago that they were going to uh, sell Fruit Loops, they were going to make it make an idea and call it Fruit Loops. Which, depending on which universe you're in, it's like F R U I T Loops or F R O O T Loops. It just depends, <laughs> and that's a whole other side story. So we won't go into that, right? But there's when you literally take the time and try to find the extraordinary in the ordinary, it becomes this unlock for creativity. So when you guys see my posts and and the things that I write and so on and so forth. I'm just, I'm just looking at ordinary everyday things and asking that question, what is extraordinary about this moment? And that turns into the posts that ultimately take a guy like Jeff who can listen to one video and feel like he can now run through walls. <laughs> it's what brings us all together is the extraordinary and the ordinary. Well, you do that, that. really well. You do that Thank fantastic. You. Keep doing it. Yes, sir. Inspiring others because you're doing a great job at it, and and I personally really appreciate you. I'm I'm, I'm thankful for you because you yeah, had an impact. I'm, I'm grateful for you as well. Uh, your daughters you used to send me your. How old are your daughters? So Marissa turned 13 today, and then okay. Mari and then Macy's 14, and then my son is 17. He's a senior now, so he's got. He's in his 13, 14, 17. They were rocking some rise and grind back in the day. Are oh, they yeah. still doing good? <laughs> for sure. Knowing yeah, Kevin, sure. he's yeah. got him on it for sure. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. Appreciate again, you, Glenn. Really appreciate you. Great time. Oh, you bet. You. you bet. I'm sure I'll see you around soon. That sounds great. Well, hey, we're a follower for life, man. Keep doing you. Yeah. 
Thanks, man. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, right, easy.